All right, you like my new headset? Caleb told me that I was trying to be Justin Bieber so I can dance a little bit. Maybe not, but you never know. I might do that. Uh, This one shouldn't crackle, and and I won't have to adjust it all the time. So if you can get used to this big black thing right in front of my face, we're good. We're in our fourth week of our series called Small Things, Big Difference. And we have this one statement that's carried us all through this four weeks. We're going to go one more week next week, and you'll hear this statement again. Here it is. This is on your listening guide, or if you're following along on version, you can follow it there. It is the small things that no one sees that result in the big things that everyone wants. Uh, we said in week one that, that your, your thoughts matter. And, and I challenged you to come up with one word that was going to carry you through this whole year. My one word is expectation. Um, week two, we said that um, your words, or last week, we said that your words have a lot of power and your words have the power of life and death, according to the scripture, according to Solomon. And so we said, we're going to speak words that build each other up, not words that tear each other down. And I challenge you to come up with one thought, one word, one statement that would carry you through this year. And today we're going to talk about your habits because your habits have the power for good or bad in your life. Because let's just face it, you are what you repeatedly do. Whether you want to admit it or not, you are the sum total of your habits. So let me do a quick survey here. How many of you would say, I am a highly disciplined person in every area of my life? Let me see your hands. Got one, two, two. And I know both these men. Yeah, I would, I'll give you all that. Woohoo! That is the vast minority in this group. Okay, let me ask this way. How many of you would say that I tend to be a little undisciplined in my life? Let me see your hands. Some of you need to have enough discipline to raise your hand. You got one or the other, you know, get a little discipline there. Well, those of you who just raised your hand said you tend to be undisciplined. I want to um, politely disagree with you. You are highly disciplined in certain areas of, of your life, but it may not be the right areas. Let's, let's talk about a couple of things because I think that, that you repeatedly do certain things. They're just not the right disciplines that get you closer to God or necessarily get you where you want to go. Some of you are disciplined to hit the snooze button every time it goes off every day. Let me see your hands. You are very, very disciplined. You are dedicated to the snooze button. In fact, some of you set your alarms early so that you can hit the snooze button. Makes no sense to me. I had my alarm set this morning. I always wake up before my alarm. The only time I don't is on time change when my body is freaked out, and that was last week, and uh, I'd set my clock ahead, and I was going to get up at 5.30, and, and so when we got in late from a gym meet, got about three hours sleep, and when the alarm went off, I came flying out of bed, and one of my clocks said the right time, and one said the wrong time, and I said, I'm so confused. What time is it? And Janie's going, it's okay. You're up at the right time. And I'm going, thank you. Thank you, still small voice coming to me in the night. Um, but all the, the rest of the time, I wake up before my alarm. Did it this morning almost 99% of the time. If I set an alarm, I'm going to wake up before that alarm. It's just the way I am. But some of y'all are disciplined to hit that snooze button, and you love the snooze button. To me, that's a waste of time. I will be so groggy if I go back to sleep. Uh, okay, many of you are, are disciplined to never miss your TV show. Praise God we have DVR now, so never again in the rest of your life do you have to miss that favorite show. You are extremely disciplined. Some of you are disciplined to never miss a single meal ever in your lifetime. Woo, praise God for chicken fried steak and mashed potatoes and cream gravy. Um, I've, I've not missed too many meals. Uh, some of you are disciplined to check your phone for missed calls. 
Some of you aren't. Some of you are disciplined to carry your phones, and some of you aren't. When we first got cell phones, it was like, I asked Janie, why do we have one? Because she never carried. I would call, and it would ring, and it would be right there next to me at the house. She's at the store, and it'd be right there, and I'm like, why do we have cell phones? I carry mine everywhere. Oh, by the way, I found my ring. Did y'all see that? Those of you here last week? Dude. Um, this is this is the thing of God because I lost my ring. Told y'all last week I don't like going anywhere without my ring, but this one doesn't quite fit, and so a lot of times I wear it on my pinky. Well, I was cleaning out my truck this week. Short short story, short of the long version, and I'm cleaning out the back of my truck, and I have a tire, a spare tire for my trailer sitting there, and I'm cleaning, I'm sweeping, and I see this little glint, this beautiful gold speck, and it's sitting in the wheel portion of my spare tire, just sitting there, and I said, "Oh God, you had mercy on my soul." Because I've already lost one. I couldn't lose another one. My first ring is in the bottom of Lake Palestine. Um, anyway, so I found it. Yay! I'm, I'm disciplined to wear my ring again because I found it. Yes, Lord. Some of you are disciplined to get on Facebook every night for hours. Some of you are very, very disciplined, just not in the right disciplines, right? You agree? Right? Okay. Just, just checking. Well, let's de- define discipline. Let's figure out what we're talking about here because this is going to carry us through today's message. Discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. Another way to say this is delayed gratification. And I would, I would venture to suggest that most Americans do not understand delayed gratification because we want it now. We want McDonald's now. I heard that's what Casey had for supper last night. He wanted McDonald's. He had the choice of his new bride's cooking. You should never post stuff on Facebook that you don't want in a sermon. He, he had the choice of Jessica's cooking. They've been married two weeks or McDonald's. He goes, man, I'm just addicted to McDonald's and I can taste a cheeseburger right now. So that's what they had for supper, right? It was good. All right. <laughs> so we don't understand delayed gratification and um, it's putting off immediate satisfaction for something that I want more in the future. And the best illustration that I have found of this is called the marshmallow test. It's a video. Watch these kids who do not know they're being videoed. They're being tempted by the marshmallow. Check this out. Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. It smells really Wait. Okay? 
I'll be back. Stay in the chair, okay? Okay. So I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you I'd give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> That's pretty awesome, isn't it? <clears throat> so I hear people all the time telling me that they want something in the future, but they're not willing to do something now in order to get that. Come on up here, baby. Janie hadn't been in here been in a couple weeks, and she got called up today. What, what a lot of people tell me is they want to have a great marriage. They want something in the future, but they don't want to do something now that will enable them to have that great marriage. In, in other words, they sabotage what they say they want most to gratify themselves right now. Now, let's say that this duct tape represents my life and the duct tape represents her life. God has told us not to have sex before marriage for a very specific reason. Because when you attach to somebody... Sexually, it becomes almost impossible to pull apart from that person once. Come on, baby, hold me. Come on. I got the short end of that, didn't I? We did this one time, and um, we were practicing, and Janie goes, it sure seems like one person is trying harder than the other person to break away from that person. And, in, and it's true, right? And here's the reason God doesn't want us to have sex before marriage. Because our souls interconnect. It is designed by God not to be the main thing in your marriage. It's to be a, a icing on the cake in your marriage that bonds you together. It's why the two become one. It is a physical representation of your souls coming together. Thank you, baby. Um, and so people are unwilling... <laughs> People are unwilling to wait what they want the most. Oh, I want a great marriage. No, you don't because you're sabotaging your future marriage by your behavior today. And it's like that in finances. It's like that in your job, anything. If you want something the most, you need to put off your immediate gratification for something that you want the most in the future. Set yourself up for success and not failure. Think of any area where you are successful and you'll see good discipline in that area if you have a good marriage more than likely you spend time together on a regular basis you may have dinners together you may go on walks together you may take dance class with your spouse once a week so that you're guaranteed to have a date night with her once a week is that score points yes okay 
regular talks. There are things you do, habits that you have formed that contribute to you having a good marriage. If you're financially stable, then you consistently live on less than you make. And most people, there are a few exceptions, but most people I know who are financially stable are very generous. They give to um, uh, worthy causes, they give to the church, and they're very, very generous. Dave Ramsey, uh, we, we do his class all the time, it's called Financial Peace University. His slogan is, what could the people of God do for the kingdom of God if they were debt free? The answer to that is, we don't know. Because there's not enough Christians who are debt free, living within their means. And you just imagine, I, I, I shared this with you one time, if, if all of the people who claim to be Christian in the United States gave tithe to their church, gave 10% to their church, we could wipe out world hunger within a couple of years if we just learn to live within our means and to be generous. Now, think of an area where you're failing. Do you know what the problem is? You're inconsistent with good habits and you're very consistent with bad ones. Uh, working out. Monday, you go maybe to Ryan's body pump class, which I hadn't been to in a long time, and it's going to hurt me so bad when I go back. You go to body pump on Monday, and you're feeling pretty good about yourself. You get up on Tuesday, and maybe you go and you run on the uh, treadmill, or you walk on the treadmill. You get to Wednesday, and you cannot walk, literally. This happens every time when I've been off a little bit, and I go back to his body pump class. I cannot walk. I whine and complain all day on Wednesday. What happens on Thursday? On Thursday, it's just too cold to go to the gym. And on Friday, it's raining, and I don't want to get wet because it'll mess up my hair. And so I don't go to the gym, right? I'm inconsistent with good habits. Eating properly. Monday, you watch what you eat. You, you start off Monday. Oh, it's going to be a good day. Tuesday, not too bad. By Wednesday, you could eat a horse. Thursday, you eat a horse. Friday, you get all rushed, and you've got to be all these different places at once. You go through Taco Bell, and you eat 16 tacos, And before you know it, you are back off of your diet. You're inconsistent with good habits, and you're very consistent with bad ones. Why are we so inconsistent? Well, Paul's going to explain that to us in Romans chapter 7. I did a lot of studying on this 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 week, and I found out a lot of stuff about Romans chapter 6 and 7. They deal with two extremes in the Christian life. One extreme is legalism. That's the belief that I can please God by the things that I do or don't do. It's, it's following a list of, of do's and don'ts, rules and regulations. And it's what we call religion, and it's what the Pharisees and Sadducees did back in Jesus' time, and he was most harsh on them because they were religious, religious, religious. The big fat problem with religion is that religious people see the sins of others, the outward actions of others, while ignoring their own sins, the root problems in their own lives. That's why Jesus said, take the log out of your eye before you try to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That's the problem with legalism, and that's on one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is license, and license says, because I'm a Christ follower, I can do whatever I want, and God has to forgive me because I'm a child of God, and that's just as wrong as legalism. Two extremes, they're wrong because God is very... Uh, concerned with obedience. In fact, he says in the New Testament, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. You don't obey in order to please God. You obey because you love God and you want to, uh, you want to follow what he te- says to do. And that's what he says love is. So <clears throat> in chapter 6, he deals with license. In chapter 7, he deals with legalism. Here we are in verse 14. This is what he says. So the trouble is not with the law. Now he's talking about everything in the Old Testament. 
Some people were saying that you had to follow every rule of the law to please God. Some people were saying you don't have to do that. He said, the problem is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. The law's good comes from God, but the law cannot give a person life. This was, this was why Jesus had to come, because the law only showed people that they were sinners. It did not show them how to have life, and it could not give them life. And so Jesus had to come. And he says, the problem is not the law. The law is spiritual. The problem is me. So you have legalists who are going to miss God and not going to grow. You have licensed people who say you can do anything. They're going to miss God and not grow. The problem is not the law. The law is spiritual. The problem is me. The problem is you. And because we are unspiritual, look what happens. Verse 15. I don't really understand myself for I, do what is, I don't do what is right. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. I can't read it either. Instead, I do what I hate. So I want an apple, but the Cheetos are calling my name. And I give in to Cheetos. Like, I love that first boy on the marshmallow test. He was, he was working it, wasn't he? And then he couldn't wait anymore. Cram both marshmallows in his mouth. Down to verse 18. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. All right. Now, Paul is not trying to get out of responsibility for his sins. What he's doing is he's pointing out that in his own power, he is not spiritual. He cannot obey God's laws in his own power. He needs something else to help him. It is natural to sin. It is supernatural not to sin. And so he's saying, I need a different power. The sin nature living in us always pulls us away from God. You do not drift towards God. You ever been in a boat that the motor quit working? How often do you drift where you want to go? I've never drifted back to the dock where my, where my uh, trailer is. Never done that. You drift away from God. The sin nature pulls you away from God. And it, it bothers Paul so much that in verse 24 he says, Oh, what a miserable person I am. He's going, oh, dear God, I'm a bad person. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? The problem is sin always overpromises and underdelivers. Go all the way back to the very first sin. Satan told Eve, you can eat of that fruit and you're not going to die. Satan questions God's commands. And Eve gives into it and then she gives to her husband who was right there with her and he ate as well. How did that How did that work out for them? Death entered the world. Sin entered the world. And it destroyed the human race. Satan promises you that you can fulfill your desires now and nobody's going to know and you can have your cake and you can eat it too. But that's not true, is it? Because you see something and, and like those kids, they're looking at the marshmallow, they're sniffing the marshmallow, some of them are tasting the marshmallow. Problem is when you hang out next to whatever your temptation is, you're eventually going to go there because we talked about this. You, you go, your life follows the direction of your strongest thoughts. Run away from the marshmallow. Leave the room, whatever you have to do so that you get the reward. And then Paul answers his own question because he says, I can't be consistent. Who can help me get, be consistent? And then he answers it in verse 25. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. What he's saying is, Christ in me is stronger than sin in me. 
When I'm spirit-empowered, I can resist sin. When I'm self-empowered, I give in to sin. So we've got to tap into that power. And if you'll remember, a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about 2 Corinthians 10, 5, and it says, the weapons that we do war with are not of this world. They are divine. That means they have God's power, and they are given to us to destroy strongholds in our life. And that power, this is, this is the kind of power that God offers if you look at Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. The greatest obstacle that we faced was sin. Jesus came, paid the price for sin. So the next greatest obstacle we faced was death. Jesus overcame death. The Bible says the power that God used to raise him from the dead is available to you. So do you think that if God raised Jesus from the dead, he doesn't have enough power to help you resist a Winky? Really? Come on. We have all the power we need. We just don't tap into it. So what do we need to do to tap into that power? Well, first thing is stop trying to be a good Christian and start training to be a good Christian. There's a huge difference in trying versus training. Most of us try a lot. We don't train. And Paul's going to go into... uh, an illustration here, and he's going to use racing. He's going to use running, and I'll tell you more about that in a minute. If you look um, at the next verse, don't re- don't you realize that in a race, that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So what's that last phrase say? So run to win. All right, let me tell you why Paul uses this racing term so much. He, he was in the, the city of Corinth, and then he goes back and he writes a letter to the church that he established in Corinth. Outside of Corinth, there were some games, the Ithmian games, that were uh, conducted every two years. These were second in stature only to the Olympic Games. By the time Paul gets to Corinth, the Ithmian games are 500 years old, so 250 times they have had these games. People from all over Europe would gather, and, and there would be thousands and thousands of people that would come right outside of Corinth. Corinth. There used to be a little town called Ithmus, and that's where they would have the games. There was a stadium, but there was no lodging or anything like that. And so they would come and they would watch running, jumping, wrestling, boxing, javelin, and discus. And then at other times, they also included horse racing, singing, poetry, drama, and a painting competition. Man, I bet they were lining up for that one. Let's watch paint dry. What's that? Is it an apple? I don't know. I mean, anyway. There were no hotels, and so what historians believe is rather than walking several miles every day so that they could come back to the games, that thousands and thousands of people either bought or rented tents, and they have this site that's been excavated where thousands of tents once stood. Now, let me ask you, those of you who know a little bit about Paul and about his background, what did he do to support himself? What did he do for a living? He was a tent maker. Can you imagine if there are thousands and thousands of tents, is there any better job for him to choose if he wants to be near lost people on a regular basis? He makes and repairs tents. It's the best thing that he could have done. Now, back in those days, you didn't get a gold medal. I have a picture. You have that on there, Ernie? Put that up there. You would win a wreath. Man, that's good stuff, isn't it? You know, we, we see the Olympics and they get the gold medal or the silver or the bronze. Well, you get the gold medal. That's, a, that's something... That's something that people, they say, where are you going to put it? And some people say, well, maybe I'll put it up here where I can see it, or maybe I'll put it in a safe deposit box because I don't want somebody to steal it. What would you do with that? Hang it on the door? Hang it on your Christmas tree? I don't know, but that just doesn't seem like much of a prize for me. And only the first place person got that. There was no second place. There was no third place. If you ain't first, you're last. Who said that? 
Ricky Bobby, that great theologian from Talladega Nights. <clears throat> now, athletes were chosen, and they went into a 10-month training period, and they would hear that phrase over and over again, run to win, run to win, run to win. You don't get anything for second place, run to win. Pick it up in verse 25. All athletes are what? Read that phrase for me. Read it like you mean it. All athletes are what? Disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Paul says Christ followers are to run to, to win the race, but we don't do it for an earthly prize. We don't do it just to get near the stand. We watch the Olympics. We're big-time, patriotic, Olympic-watching people. And the problem with, is when it's on the other side of the world, you know, that there's time delay, and, and I can't stand not knowing, so I'm always checking updates. And I would check to see if we got on the medal stand. And if we didn't get on the medal stand, I'll, I'll applaud you, man. Woo, you got fourth. You got tenth in the world. That's awesome. But I'm not going to watch it on TV. I don't have time for that if you win first second or third i will watch it because you got on the medal stand and you're helping us in the medals race even though we lost it to russia and i don't know they cheated but anyway in this race it didn't matter if you got near the stand and paul says it doesn't matter if you're near the first place winner he says you need to run your race now i'm not racing against you you're not racing against me god has given us a life and we have a race and we're supposed to run it the best we can in order to hear our heavenly father say good job you did your best and i'm going to reward you for that now these athletes that were chosen for this 10 months they would go to they would go and live at the gymnasium and they would have a strict diet they would go through all of this exercise and they would even expose themselves to really, really hot temperatures, really, really cold temperatures so that they'd be ready for anything on race day. And, and they would even, they thought their clothes slowed them down. So they would run naked. Ew, I'm so grateful to God we don't still do that trash. There's, there's not a lot of clothes, but at least there are some clothes. And, but when you realize that that's what they would do, they would strip off their clothes because they thought it would slow them down. Paul in Hebrews 12 says, let us take off everything that will keep us from running the race that is set before us. And it, it explains that imagery to you. These athletes took their training seriously and they did it for a perishable prize. But as Christians, we go for an eternal prize. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27. And this will make sense to you. Paul says, so I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. And that means I'm not fighting an, Im an imaginary opponent. It is a real opponent that I am fighting. And then read the next phrase like you mean it. I discipline my body like an athlete training to it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. That means I choose what I want most over what I want now. If I want a good marriage, then I need to purpose my life in that direction. I need to make sure that Janie has not just the leftovers of my time, but a good chunk of my time. Because you can't have quality time with also, without also having quantity time. Don't give me that trash. Well, we have quality time, not quantity. You've got to have some quantity in order to get to quality. And so if I want an intimate, passionate, growing relationship with Janie, I need to make sure that there is purpose in my life that draws me closer and closer to Janie. I have purpose for my parenting. I want my kids, the only thing I want for my kids is for them to serve God with all their hearts. I don't care what they do for a living. I don't care who they marry as long as the person they're marrying. We pray almost every night, God, give them a 
person who loves you first and foremost. And we'll consider our lives a success if our kids are pursuing you. I don't care what they do, God. I want their hearts to be captured by you. There's purpose in my job. I have purpose for every day so that I become more like Jesus Christ. And that's why you're left on the earth. It's why you're not taken immediately when you become a Christian. He wants you to become more like Christ and he wants you to introduce more people to Christ. Otherwise, when you became a Christian, boom, you're gone. But he has purpose for your life. By nature, none of us are self-disciplined. We're sin-disciplined. So we've got to tap into God's power to do good things. And when we do that, we gain spiritual momentum. Now, this one author called good habits that that lead to momentum, he called them keystone habits. And what he said was, when you have a keystone habit and you follow that habit, then what happens is you gain more and more good momentum in your life. He said, but a keystone habit is one of those habits that if you neglect that habit, if you don't do it, then it goes the opposite direction and you create more and more negative momentum in your life. So... One of my key keystone habits is flossing. Every night, I floss. No matter if I'm here, in Haiti, wherever I am, I floss because I can't sleep unless I floss. I feel like there's stuff there. Sometimes I floss three or four times a day. When I go to the dentist, they, they come, I'm not kidding, they comment about my flossing habits. And they'll say, how many times do you floss? And I'll say, I floss every day. And they'll say, that's so good. They think that's great. Okay, so here's, here's what happens. When I floss, then I feel like I can go to sleep. When I go to sleep, I get rest. When I get rest, I wake up and feel refreshed. When I wake up and feel refreshed, I read my version Bible study, and I get filled with the Holy Spirit of God. When I get filled with the Holy Spirit of God, I come to work with a good attitude, and I am very, very productive. When I'm very, very productive and I have a good attitude, everyone I see, I just pour out the Spirit of God on them. I get everything done. I go home at the end of the day. I'm nice to my family, and my wife thinks I'm sexy and life is good why all because I flossed now if I don't floss I can't sleep when I can't sleep I don't get rest when I don't get rest I wake up moody when I wake up moody I don't read my version bible when I don't read my version bible then I am not filled with the holy spirit when I go to work If I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit when I go to work, then I'm a jerk to people and I don't get enough done and I get angry and I leave at the end of the day frustrated. When I leave at the end of the day frustrated and someone out here when I'm turning a U, they pull and they cut me off. I think horrible thoughts about their vehicle and and I speed around them and I don't see the nice officer public servant over there with the radar gun. And when I don't see him, he pulls me over and I get a ticket and then I'm a smoldering volcano. And by the time I get home, I'm not nice to my family. And so my wife does not think I'm sexy. And then I eat gallons and gallons of bluebell ice cream and I die an early death all because I didn't floss. Keystone habits matter. Is that an exaggeration? Well, slightly. Maybe slightly, but you get what I'm talking about. When I let God help me choose what matters, then I do those things over and over and over again. It creates positive spiritual momentum in my life, and I grow as a Christ follower. Does that make sense? And that's what we're after. I'm spirit-led, and I discipline myself for the purpose of godliness. 
I enter into training, and I'm so serious about my spiritual training, I'm just as serious as an athlete is about their physical training so that I look more and more like Jesus. And God blesses my spiritual growth. And it all happened because of discipline, because of my habits. You become what you repeatedly do. So I've got a question for you, a couple of application questions for today. It's on your listening guide. I want to ask you to really think about this. What do you want most? I want you to think about that. If you want to lose 30 pounds, then you write down, I want to lose 30 pounds. If you want to get married in the future, you write down, get married in the future. If you want to get out of debt, if you want to get free from porn, if you want to get close to God, whatever you want most, write it down on your listening guide. And remember way back in week one, I said, you need one word that's going to take you through this year. My one word is expectation. And my verse is Psalm 5.3. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, Lord, I lay my request before you and I wait in expectation. Next week, I told you we need one thought that will kind of guide our hearts and our lives this year. And my one thought is be anxious for nothing because I can be a worrier. And I've told you that at night, many times when I can't sleep, I just start saying, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. And I say it over and over until I believe it. And then I'm no longer anxious. And the spirit of God fills me with the peace of God. And then I told you last week we need one statement. And, and my statement is also my thought, and that can be your thought too, but it can't remain a thought. I can't say be anxious for, I can't just think be anxious for nothing. I have to say it. And so when something comes up in my life, and I give you permission to say this to me, if you see me worried, you say, isn't your statement for the year be anxious for nothing? I'll say thank you. Thank you for reminding me that God is bigger than my problem. And the power that raised Christ from the dead is bigger than whatever I'm worried about. It's bigger than a Twinkie. All right, so next week we're going to talk more about this, but today I want you to start thinking, what is your one discipline that you need to do? And and this next question will help you figure out what your discipline is. What do you need to do now to help you get what you want most? If if you need to exercise, then then quit putting it off. Get a partner and go to the gym. Or go to the gym and, and get a personal trainer, whatever you need to do. If, if you want to get closer to God, then you get, you get uh, your smartphone if you have it. If you don't, I've got all kinds of Bible studies that you can do. Just come see me and I'll give you something that you can do, a devotional. But don't just do it by yourself. You grow more when you walk with someone else. So get somebody with you. If you're going to do your version, there are thousands of different devotionals on version. You find one and you get one or two people to read with you and then you talk about it once a week, whatever you need to do. If you need to get free from porn, then you put a filter on every device that you have, whether it's a phone or whether it's an iPad or whether it's your computer, you get that. But don't just stop there. You email reports to someone you trust. Because I'm just going to tell you, you can't trust yourself when it comes to porn. You need to have someone that you're accountable to if you want to get free from that. Um, if you want to get out of debt, then, then you need to sign up for Financial Peace University. Um, maybe you need to discipline yourself to begin tithing. Um, Got to share this story. I just found out the, the rest of the story this, this last week. Um, I think it was, let's see, it was 2006, so eight years ago. We were in the old building. We hadn't bought this place yet. And um, I was doing a, a series on giving, on, on tithing. And one of the things I did was I said, I, I, uh, I double-dog dare you 
to begin giving 10% of your income to God. And I'm so confident that God will bless you that after six months, if God hasn't blessed you, I'll give you your money back. Well, Carlene was there. And I knew she took my dare, but I didn't know why until this past Wednesday. So she told me, she goes, I'll take that. And so she started tithing. And she marked the date, and and she was going to watch. At the end of that date, she was going to get her money back. And you know why? She said, that's my Christmas money right there. This will force me to save, and when, when I'm not blessed, I'll get this back, and I'll have Christmas money right there. Eight years ago, and she's never quit tithing since. Because she came to the end of that six months and God had blessed her and she said, I've got to acknowledge the God of the universe with my finances. Unbelievable story. But it's a story that happens over and over. Wherever you trust God, whatever area of your life you trust God with, God is going to bless you in. And so you need to think about what do I need to do now to have what I want most? And here's the thing, whether it's small groups or whether you need to have a date night, whatever you need Whatever you want most, put a discipline with it so that maybe you'll get that. And you begin by saying, I don't have the power to do it because Satan, your accuser, the first thing he's going to tell you is you can't do it. And you know what you say to Satan? You don't argue with Satan. You say, I can't. But the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to help me. Satan will quit jacking with you because he doesn't want you talking about God. He wants you focusing on what you can't do. And you say, I can't do it, but God can do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so the discipline, I don't know what you need. Mine, mine is expectation, be anxious for nothing. And then my discipline, I'm going to tell you about that next week. It's called the rule of five. And I've been wanting to do this for a long time. And I'm just going to throw it out there and going to be accountable to the church. Five things that I'm going to do every day to help me be a better man of God, a better father, a uh, better husband. And, and I'm going to share that with you and challenge somebody to take the journey with me. And we'll talk more about that next week. So if you remember, our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Therefore, according to, to 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, I will take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we said that our words have the power of life and death. Therefore, we will not let any unwholesome words come out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up, that it may benefit those who listen. We will fix our minds on what is true and honorable and pure and lovely and good, repute anything excellence, anything worthy of praise. But we will not just think about those things. We will begin saying those things to people who are significant in our lives because our words carry the power of life and death. And if we want to change the life we have, we're going to change the words we speak. We will speak words of life because that's the way we want it. And with the power of Christ, we will choose what we want most over what we want now. And we will discipline our bodies like an athlete so that we can get a prize that is eternal. Because God has said, if you are faithful in small things, I will put you in charge of big things. If I can't trust you, the opposite of that is if God can't trust you with small things, he will never trust you with big things. Would you bow your heads for a moment? To me, one of the worst things you can do is hear a word from God and ignore it. And it happens in churches all over the world every week. People make an appearance God shows up, and then they disregard what God says. 
I want to challenge you not to do that today. I don't have any illusions that my words carry any power, but if anything came from God and spoke to your heart, I want to challenge you to act upon that today. There is something you need to do in order to have what you really want the most. I don't think you want mediocre marriages. I don't think you want relationships that are simply okay. I think you want more. And you're going to have to discipline yourself to achieve what you want most. I want you to ask God, what is it I need to do now to become the person you want me to be? Just ask him that in your mind. And whatever he challenges you to do, will you say, yes, Lord, I'll do it. Father, I thank you that we don't have to live weak and pathetic lives. That Jesus Christ, although he was meek, was the strongest person who ever walked the face of the planet. Mold us and shape us to be a reflection of your son so that we might bear the family resemblance, look like you, look like your son, and win more people into the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.